Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. The book of Revelation, this is session 39, and uh, this is entitled, The Increase of Martyrdom. Now, we're doing a little bit of a contrast here, because last week, well, two weeks ago when we were uh, doing this uh, study, we were talking about protection. We're talking about the divine protection policy that the Lord has for the church and how that's going to work a little bit. And uh, we were talking about some of what we're going to be protected from. And there are certainly going to be moments, for sure, there are going to be moments where the church or an individual or a group or a leader or a Bible study or whatever is protected from martyrdom. There will absolutely be those moments, but that's not going to be the rule. There's actually coming a significant increase in martyrdom. So as we talk about the protection, we also want to make sure that we give a, a, a bit of attention to this really tough subject that the Bible doesn't mince words about. It's a very difficult subject that the Bible says straightforwardly. It doesn't, you know, kind of give us an ambiguous idea the ambiguity comes from our experience, from our Western culture, comes from our, you know, what we've known. It does not come from the Word of God. The ambiguity is not from the Word. The Word is very clear. It is a very straightforward reality that martyrdom is a part of church history, martyrdom is a part of Christianity, and martyrdom is a significant part of the future of the church. Um, and we're going to look at some of what it has to say in the book of Revelation. Well, before we talk about martyrdom, I want to talk about suffering as a whole and kind of introduce us a little bit to the doctrine of suffering that's laid out in the scripture. And we have really no grid work for persecution and for suffering. And, but again, most of that comes from the probably kind is the, probably the right word is, is one right word. The kind way that the Lord has dealt with the church in America has had us so insulated from really any real persecution, maybe a little, a little, but not really. Uh, whereas there are places in the earth right now, if you're a believer, the possibility of martyrdom is very real for you right now. So it's not like just another hour in history right now. In fact, there's more martyrdom right now than there has been historically. And so right now we're living in an hour where this martyrdom thing is a very real reality. It's just not touching us in America. And the problem with that, again, I'm very grateful for the safety that we have. But the problem with that is we've developed theology based off our experience and not theology based off of what the word of God says. And there's lots of believers across the earth right now that would say to the church in America that thinks that we're never going to be persecuted if you're being persecuted, you must be doing something wrong. Martyrdom can't ever happen. Martyrdom only happens if you're doing, you know, something wrong. That's, that's for, you know, thousands of years or hundreds of years ago. Anybody that would talk like that and talk to the church in many parts of the world would get slapped. And so, but we're so surrounded by others that are insulated that we don't understand uh, what it is that the word says about this subject. And really what, not just what the word says, the reason we want to know what the word says is because the word's the truth. It's the true truth, not our experience. Our, our experience can lie to us all day long. We want to know the true truth. So that's the reason we want to know what the word says is so we can understand what reality is. All right, so uh, just a kind of a little uh, touch point here. Um, when John wrote the book of Revelation, John was being persecuted. John was in prison because of his faith when he writes the book of Revelation. So John, who wrote, who drafted this end time doc, was actually in prison, in, a, in a, a prison situation because of his faith. They tried to martyr him a couple of times. It didn't work. And here he is in prison writing about the reality of suffering and martyrdom and persecution for the church at the end of the age. He gave you the Revelation 1.9. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and in the kingdom. And in patient endurance that are all ours in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You can't get it right there, but Patmos was a prison island. It was a work camp of sorts. So John writing the book of Revelation is telling us from that very standpoint. 
uh, or is, is writing from that context. Now, I give you part B here, and I want to encourage you to go and be a student of the Word and go look up every one of those Bible verses. I want to encourage you, spend some time getting some uh, New Testament theology about suffering. Because while it might not be a subject we particularly like, it's a profound subject in the New Testament. It has deep roots in the New Testament. It is part of New Testament Christianity. And in all honesty, if we're a people that don't experience miracles, but we read the Bible that talks about all these miracles in the New Testament, we want to go after miracles. Because we want to know what it is that we've been given, what we've been given access to. If we're a people that don't understand suffering, we've not experienced much of that for the sake of Christ, it's something that you don't necessarily need to go try to get, you know, some problems happen in your life. But it is something that we definitely want to go after in the word and get revelation on so that we have a right perspective because my people perish because of lack of knowledge. I mean, it's, we wind up in a bad spot when we have wrong perspective about what normal and truth is. And uh, we want to just realign with the word. So I gave you a bunch of verses there. I gave you, I don't know, what, maybe 30, 40 verses right there that you can go look at that help you to uh, engage your heart and your mind in what is described as a significant part of New Testament Christianity. I gave you one of them here, one that we're probably familiar with, but I just feel like we read these verses sometimes and then downplay it and minimize it to whatever might half apply in our current circumstances, which is okay, but we don't want to forget the primary context of what verses like this were written about, okay? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Peter says, don't be surprised at painful trial suffering. Don't be surprised by that. It, don't be shocked, Christian. Don't be shocked. It's normal. As though, you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice and participate that you get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Participating in the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ, it's like something about him. There's the joy of the Lord, we know that. There's also the sufferings of Christ. We want the joy of the Lord, but we also don't want to despise the sufferings of Christ. And if you're insulted, insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. <clears throat> this is one of many verses in the New Testament that define for us the normalcy of suffering as a Christian. That that's a normal part of life. And so actually, in our insulated situation here in America, which again, I'm thankful for, <clears throat> in our insulated situation, we have been uh, um, protected we have been um, uh, blinded to so much of what is part of normal New Testament Christianity, and that is suffering. And again, the Lord does different things in different seasons for different groups for different purposes. And the Lord's purposes for America have been very clear. But I just want to tell us, there is suffering coming to the church in America for sure. <clears throat> Let's keep going here. Isaiah 24, 1, 1 through 2, and then also verse 11 this is talking about face the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will break difficulty coming to the planet, and it doesn't matter what you're like. Some significant problems. Uh, verse 11 says, all joy turns to gloom. All gaiety is banished from the earth. A season of time, this is talking about the substantial outward joys of life. It, you know, and then it, it even clarifies the statement and says, all gaiety is, is banished from the earth. The, the dancing, happy, everybody's, you know, good to go. It's a party kind of thing. Banished from the earth. A season of time doing right now in our early days in the Lord as we're maturing. Is we want to learn how to handle bad news with the joy of the Lord in our heart and not let our life be dictated by outward circumstances. Outward, I'm, I'm high as a kite. I'm good. I've been praying that Ephesians 3.16 thing all over myself for years. I'm good to go. I've got love in my heart. I've got joy in my inner man, strength in there. Just don't ask me about my Tuesday, okay? Because that's going to be off limits. Now, there is coming a time, and again, it's, it, those uh, verses that we just read, it's talking about the global reality. So it's not like, oh, well, America's going to be good to go. I, America is not going to be good to go. There's going to be some pieces of protection. We just covered that a session or two ago. 
There's going to be some significant pieces here and there, but there is going to be, as a rule, the joys of, of planet Earth in our inner man to be able to impart hope and the true joy that surpasses understanding, the true peace that surpasses circumstances, for us to be able to operate in that. So I don't want to say you're not going to have the joy of the Lord. That's up to you. I'm just going to say our circumstances aren't going to be the kind of thing that we're all bragging about anymore. All right? Global suffering in an unprecedented way. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be great distress. Great distress. Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. I mean, this, this means suffering. I just want us to, to understand while we're talking about you know, the prayer movement and, and protection and cities of refuge, and we're talking about all those components, we don't want to lose the fact of the chief apostles saying, a time is coming that can't be compared to any other time in human history, and it is a time defined as great distress out of the mouth of Jesus. So we got to get this. This is, but then Peter said, don't be surprised at a painful trial that you're suffering. Like something crazy's happening to you. It ain't crazy. It's Tuesday. All right, so the biblical presentation for suffering, I just want to give us a little bit on this, and then we'll get into Revelation, I promise. Philippians 1.29 says, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's been granted to you. It's been a gift from God. Not only that you get to believe and experience the benefits, but that you get to suffer for him. That's a granted, that's a benefit. See, we've got some wrong perspective. We are trying to do everything we can to avoid all that stuff. All right, uh, yeah, I gave you another verse there, but I'm gonna skip down. Perspective is essential. Romans 8.18, this is where we wanna be. This is a, a point of maturity. So if you go, I just like to escape every bad thing, suffering. I don't even want to use the word suffering. In fact, I'm trying to figure out how to get out of the door right now because I don't want to hear any more about suffering. I want to invite you into a little bit of a, an inward look and let's call that immaturity. Let's not call that holiness or next level Christianity. Let's call that immaturity, okay? And start to deal with it. Listen, I've got tons of areas in my life I'm immature. That doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me in a journey, Okay? identify where you've got some points of immaturity and then start to work through those. This is what Paul says, Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth mentioning. They're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Understand this. Paul didn't say he didn't have sufferings. He said, it's really not worth talking about. I've got them. But do you know who I am? <laughs> like, do you know who you are? Like, we're sons and daughters, prince, princes and princesses of the Most High. We're going to live forever, and we're like all caught up and knotted up about a few years, 80, even if you get 80 years of suffering. It's a few years. You're like all caught up in this thing. Like, that's really your life? You're going to live for billions of years with a resurrected body. Like, let's get some perspective. You had a bad day, 80 years. It was a bad day, one bad day. I'm telling you, a billion years from now, we're all gonna be laughing about complaining about whatever we complained about. And be like, I was so dumb. I, was, I just didn't understand. Paul's inviting us into an eternal perspective. This isn't cute. This is maturity. This is wisdom. This is fortifying. This is get you through the trials. The church that's gonna survive and march victoriously through the end times is going to be one that's rooted in Romans 8.18 that understands I'm going somewhere. Like, I'm not saying I don't have problems. I, you know, I've always thought it was a little interesting when, you know, someone's like at their answer when they had this, the worst day ever, like, how are you doing today? Oh, blessed and highly favored. It's like, well, okay, but didn't like everybody, you know, die today? Well, yeah, but I'm blessed and highly favored. Can we talk about the other thing, though, for just a minute and recognize that you did go through some difficulty? Like, I don't want to be blind to the fact that there are current sufferings and current trials. I just don't want to be hung up on them, you know? I, I don't, I don't want to pretend like they're not there. That's not emotionally healthy, okay? But I also don't want to make that my life. 
Like, how do you define your life? The six bad things that happened to me in 2019. Horrible plan. Don't live that way, you know? Okay, foundational to our faith is that we get to share in his sufferings, and it's also called sharing in his glory. Sharing in his sufferings and sharing in his glory are likened to each other. Romans 5, 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces stuff. Perseverance is a starting point. Suffering produces. Just think about that. Suffering produces. I don't know about you. I want stuff produced in me. And if I can be honest, just from a, a natural assessment, the biggest blessings I've had, they didn't really produce deep, deep works in me. I was super grateful for those blessings. But they didn't produce. The stuff that produced... It's all the dirty stuff, all the tough stuff, all the pain. It produces. Romans 8, 17 says, we're children, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So I just, I don't want suffering to be an odd thing to us, an odd idea. New Testamently, it is not odd. Americanly is bizarro. We need to be far more citizens of the kingdom than we are citizens of whatever nation we're part of. Okay? And I'm grateful to be an American. I'm thankful for all the benefits. But we got to be more kingdom than we are nationalistic. Okay? All right. All right. So let's keep going. The increase of martyrdom in the last days. I gave you a little bit of the Matthew 24 again, part three here. You'll be handed over. This is Jesus talking to his main guys about the the future of the church. Like, hey, let me give you a, a, a vision for the future of the church. We're gonna get bigger buildings and bigger this and bigger that. Not exactly. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Yuck. This persecution thing is like a big deal. Well, Jesus in the book of Revelation, is identified as the slain lamb. So the one that we interact with throughout the book of Revelation is identifying himself as the slain lamb, only as we spent a session on this, he's only identified as the lion one time, but like 21 times as the slain lamb. So the one that we're interacting with in the book of Revelation is the slain lamb. It's almost like a little bit of a tip-off about what it is that we're going to be going through and dealing with and the posture of our heart that we need to have when we go through the hour of the book of Revelation actually unfolding. We're being led by the slain lamb. We probably ought to be thinking about that a little bit, about what that's going to mean for our future. If we're called to be like him and to share in his sufferings, he needs us a slain lamb, then that's probably going to be a significant part of the church. But it's what Jesus prepared us for. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't get but just a few verses into the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are you when people insult you. It's the best. Let them add a couple extra four-letter words in there. It wasn't mean enough. Bring it on. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not because you were being silly. Not because you're born a little whatever. Because of me. Okay? Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of me. He said it's a blessing. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the perspective the church is going to need walking into the end times. All right. <clears throat> now let's look at Revelation. Let's just kind of go a little <clears throat> quick little skip through Revelation related to the subject of martyrdom. And then hopefully we'll have some time for Revelation 6, the fifth seal, which talks about martyrdom. The opening chapters of Revelation paint the picture of the hour of the church in the day when John wrote the book of Revelation as a persecuted church that was needing to overcome, that was needing to endure. And this was not just the hour of the church in that day, but it's also a picture of the church in the final hour in which we're going to be walking through great difficulties right before uh, Jesus returns. And so his uh, statement, Jesus' statement to, um, uh, to the churches repeatedly in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 
was things like this. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I'll give you the victor's crown. Be faithful even to death. You just, we've got to start signing up for whatever it takes. Whatever. King Jesus, you're worth it. What is he not worth it of, worth, worthy of? What, what, what point do we draw the line? Well, you're worthy of this, this, and this, but not that. No, see, that's totally wrong. He is worthy of that. Whatever it is that was that, yeah, he's worthy of that. And so Jesus is admonishing the church, be faithful even to the point if it costs you your life, stay faithful. And I'll reward you handsomely, I promise. But stay faithful, stay faithful even to the point of death. In uh, chapter 6, and again, we'll look at this hopefully in a little bit, a little uh, bit in, we'll look at it a little bit in a little bit. Um, The martyrs cry out in Revelation 6, I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Martyrs. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? This is I, one of the things I'll just make a point here. It's interesting to me that the conversation of martyrdom is not just an earthly conversation. It's a heavenly conversation. The subject of martyrdom is going to be such a big deal during the great tribulation that it's going to be a significant point of dialogue around the throne. Okay? The subject of martyrdom. <clears throat> Moving just a little bit further. Revelation 13, and then a couple of verses in there. I just gave you a little snapshot here. This is not like these are all the verses in Revelation about martyrdom. But we see the violence of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to set up a system that is designed for two, two things. The first is to get Christians to compromise. That's actually the primary objective. Murder is the consequence. But the objective is compromise. Let's get those Jesus worshipers to stop giving Jesus worship and start worshiping me, Antichrist in this scenario, start worshiping the Antichrist and turn away from Jesus because how embarrassing that is, how, how much glory that Satan then gets to steal one away that was worshiping Jesus and now get that same worship. That's actually the objective of the whole Mark of the Beast system. That's the point. Martyrdom, however, is the reward for those that stay steady. Jesus said, even to the point of death, there's gonna be a lot that get to make real good on that one because the enemy is going to orchestrate a system through the Antichrist regime that's gonna end in martyrdom for many, many. When I say many, we need to be talking about millions, countless millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions maybe. I mean, it's gonna be a lot of people martyred for their faith. But the violence of the Antichrist is really a very short-lived violence. Now, that's the most wide scale. I mean, you're talking a lot of impact. But for me, I don't know. Sometimes when I just think about what's harder, having to put up with a good measure of pain for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, or having to put up with a whole lot of pain for a shorter period of time, sometimes I'm like, just punch me. It's like, let's just get this over with. You know, I don't, I don't like a slow bleed. It's not my favorite, you know? And so here's the point I'm making with that. The Antichrist's violence is going to be limited to three and a half years. But probably for decades before that, this institution called the Harlot Babylon is going to be having a significant influence in the earth. And she is going to be responsible for lots and lots of martyrdom. So I'm going to read a couple of those verses real quick. Bottom of page four, top of page five. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God has judged her. And you have to go look at the context to see that this is talking about the harlot Babylon at the end of the age. God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Revelation 19.2 says, He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So we're talking about a global institution that is going to be rising. It's rising now. I mean, we can see it now rising. But it's going to be rising in the earth and come to a place of prominence and probably be in a significant place for a decade or two. or We don't know. It doesn't say how long, but it's much longer than three and a half years. It's going to be a much longer period of time. And she is going to be responsible for the martyrdom of the saints. 
So it's actually going to go on for a lot longer, though probably won't have near the numeric impact. In the midst of all this, Jesus is wrapping up the book of Revelation, and he wants to make sure that the, while the book of uh, Revelation, one of the main themes, it's a main theme, one of the main themes is the persecution and the difficulty that the saints will endure. It's a significant point. He wants to make sure we don't end the book of Revelation without a massive point of encouragement. And so we have this in Revelation chapter 20. John sees a specific vision, a specific component of this book of Revelation vision that's like 90 visions in one. He sees one uh, subcomponent, says this in Revelation 20 verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Talking about a, a cluster of Christians, probably millions, tens of millions, we don't know, lots of people that had done the very thing that Jesus said, and that is, don't love your life even unto death. Say, don't shrink back, I'll give you the victor's crown. Here we see John seeing in the spirit, he sees this vision of those that make it through the great tribulation and they refuse to worship the Antichrist. They refuse to. He says, and as a result in the process of that, they were beheaded. These are martyrs. He says, I saw that group and to them were given specific governmental positions. They're given government in the new age. Specific like leadership roles of government. I'm not talking about you're over the library. I mean, these are guys and, and gals that are like bright righteousness. They're promised specific roles in the government of Jesus in the millennial age. That's awesome. And you just go, Jesus in his wisdom as the pastor who's giving us all this really hard information, he's going, listen, if you'll just do that whole Romans 8.18 perspective thing, it's not worth mentioning compared to what's coming. If you'll just keep your head in the clouds, you're going to be okay. And you will get what's coming, and it will be so awesome. And forever, you'll have that merit badge forever. Forever, you will live out of the fruit of those decisions. And then there'll also be others that forever are living out of the fruit of decisions in the other direction. He says, listen, this is so worth it. If all it costs you is your life, you're going to be okay. You live forever. You never die. The story isn't over when you take your last breath here. The story is not over. We live like we think it's over. We're wrong. This is why we look to the word of God to define our truth, our future, what is right and real. It doesn't matter what my emotions are. It doesn't matter what I was taught in Sunday school. What matters is the word of God. And the word casts a high vision. Don't give up, even to death. Those that endure, even if you're martyred, you'll wind up with a significant place of government in Jesus' uh, millennial kingdom in the next age. That's crazy. That is powerful for the human spirit. Jesus put that in there on purpose. The impact of martyrdom on Christianity, it refines the church into wholeheartedness. I mean, you gotta decide why you're in this thing. I mean, when, the, when people are getting martyred left and right, you gotta go, am I a for real Christian? <laughs> like, is this real is Jesus my all for real? I mean, I sang a bunch of songs about it. You are my all in all, but is he my all in all? You make a decision and it makes the church wholehearted. Many will fall away because of the pressure. Many will go, he's my all in some. You know, he, he was my all in all before it all got tipsy-turvy and troubling. I don't really like the consequences of him being my all in all anymore. I'm, I'm not really on board with that. It will purify the church. Many will fall away. That's actually, as terrible as that is, that's actually purifying. If you've got, you know, uh, I don't know, like some water and you're trying to drink it and it's got a bunch of little yucky bugs and stuff floating in there, don't drink the water. Let's get rid of the bugs first. Now you got purified water. There's actually going to be some significant purifying of the church through the difficulties. People are going to look at it. Jesus is the one that said it, Matthew 24. He said, many will fall away and betray and hate each other. He said they're going to betray and hate each other because they're going to look at the consequences of following Jesus and going, follow Jesus, get my head cut off. Hmm, don't really like that. What's my other option? 
worship the Antichrist, deny Jesus, get all the food and stuff you need, and your family's taken care of. You see? This is going to be real. There's going to be lots of people that take choice B. Now, I don't think it's going to be the majority. I think the majority, Jesus, like, is real in the heart. And we're going to look at it and go, no, I'll die. And there will be many that will even go to that point. Well, they will. Holiness will arise, not just love, but bright righteousness. Martyrdom will produce righteousness in the church. Because people are going, well, if I'm going to go all the way for him, life or death, I'm not going to stop there. That's going to be my starting point. I'm not playing around anymore. I'm not piddling with sin. I'm going for it. And Jesus is going to be empowering the spirit. You know what happens when you say yes to Jesus? You get grace to keep saying yes to Jesus. You get more. To him who is given, even more will be given. The one who has, even more will be given. That's what happens as you say yes to Jesus. You get more grace to run further, harder, more passionately after Jesus. Imagine the church that has all said yes to martyrdom, if need be. What manner of holiness and measure of grace resting on the entire church in the earth at that point? There will also be countless millions that will turn to Jesus in the midst of all this. They're going to see this and go, you guys are crazy. You're dying for this man you've never met and shaken his hand with, like, physically. Why would you? You're dying. It will be such a sign and a wonder in that hour. I mean, and it is currently in places in the earth now. But we're going to experience a global baptism here where the church is going to be walking in righteousness even to the point of death. And people are going to be looking at it and going, who is this man you serve? What? And they're going to actually fall in love because of your testimony and your willingness. Let's talk about the fifth seal for just a minute. <clears throat> the fifth seal is the one we, were, uh, we read just a minute ago where the martyrs under the altar... In heaven, the altar that's before the throne in heaven, the souls of the martyrs are acting like fire-hot coals under the altar. They're right there before the throne. It says they're under the altar. I mean, think about the picture. Big altar before the throne, under the altar. Not on it, not next to it, under it. But they're talking. And it's the martyrs. And they're crying out, how long until you deal with this nonsense? How long until you bring us justice? And it's an apt question. It's right. It's a right question for them to be asking. But what's crazy is they're told to wait. <laughs> I don't know the number. 100 million martyrs. You know, 50 million martyrs. I don't know the number. Some number of martyrs we're already into the Great Tribulation. We're already into the Mark of the Beast system. We're already into all those difficulties. All this stuff is unfolding. It's been going on for months, a year, maybe a year and a half, two years. I don't know. It's been going on. Now you hit seal five. And the martyrs are crying out, do you see how many of us are here, Jesus? What are you doing about this? When does this stop? And they're given the most profound answer. To each of them was given a robe, and they were told either by God, an angel on behalf of God. Whoever tells them, it's God telling them. You got me? They were told to wait a little longer. Okay? Like a week? What are we waiting for? Until the full number of their fellow servants, the brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. There's a number. There's a number. I want to tell you, this is a point for you to wrestle through but I want you to understand this. The indignation that the prayer movement in heaven is feeling, these martyrs under the altar, the indignation that they are feeling that is causing them to cry out, how long? The church on the earth will be crying out, how long? And the more martyrs, the more fiery hot the church will be. The more martyrs, the more people and groups and families are touched by martyrdom, the fiery, hot uh, love of Jesus, wholehearted devotion, holiness, dedication to his purposes, those things will only increase. And this is actually the reason it's listed in the judgments. There's, there are these judgments, the seals. We've been talking about plague and war and famine. And now we're talking about martyrdom. But the martyrdom isn't a judgment against the church. 
The martyrdom is actually a judgment against the Antichrist regime because every time that martyrdom number keeps climbing, the intercession of the church is going to increase. The holiness of the church is going to increase. The resolve to march with Jesus is going to increase. So actually, it totally backfires on the enemy. His purpose is to use martyrdom to scare people. It's going to actually do the opposite. It's going to purify and refine the church and cause the church to reach in wholehearted love and devotion, which is going to wind up completely messing up all the purposes that the Antichrist has. When you can't kill your enemy because killing your enemy actually gets them a greater inheritance, you have a real problem. What can you do to your enemy? I'm just going to call you names. I'm so mad at you. And he's going to only be enraged to continue to martyr. But as he martyrs, he doesn't realize he's actually marching towards his own doom because there's a set number. And when the set number is released, then the answer to the question that the martyrs have been asking, how long until you avenge us and you judge the Antichrist kingdom? How long? And the answer from heaven is, when he's taken the last soul I'm going to let him take. When he's, when he's killed the last, but can't really take the soul, but take the body. When he's murdered, martyred, the last one, there's a number, there's a set number. And when he hits it, he thinks he's marching towards victory, total annihilation, total victory. He doesn't realize he's actually getting closer and closer to the moment where God brings the gavel down. And now comes the justice that is right. And that's when Jesus comes back in the sky brings justice with him, and the trumpets and the bowls are released, which are infinitely worse judgments than the seven seals that we've been reading about. Okay, well, I best think we better break up into groups. All right, we're going to go ahead and transition to a time of Q&A. <clears throat> All right, so this is the time in our uh, discussion and our study where we take a group question from each one of the groups and I'm going to be sure to record or to repeat the question that you give me so that those that are watching online or those that listen to the recording later can hear the question as well. So we'll start over here. Uh, Luke, what was the group question for you guys? So the question is, uh, what does the Bible have to say or does it say anything about what specific ways we'll suffer, how much we'll suffer, what degrees will we suffer? Um, the answer to that question is not a black and white, methodical, here's the answer. It's, it has so many variables. So, like we've talked about in some past weeks, if you are completely disobedient, you just do whatever you want, you're going to wind up suffering more now than need be. You're going to wind up suffering more in the end times than need be. So let's say God really wanted to do you a solid, but you're like, no, I'm going to do it my way. Well, you're going to suffer more. So the, uh, the subject of uh, partnership and obedience plays into it. The, the point that God will do one thing in one place and do a different thing in another place is another component. Uh, there are some who from an early age feel a call and a grace to martyrdom they feel it. They're probably going to be martyred. So it's like, but that doesn't mean everybody's going to be martyred, but the ones that like the Lord's been preparing, like that's, that's, that's a real thing too. Then there's going to be a bunch of people that didn't ever feel it, but man, they find themselves in the situation and they're looking at their options and are like, if I say yes to Jesus right now, I'm going to die. I am definitely saying yes to Jesus and they're going to be martyred. There's going to be times where the in actuality, the, the, the point of martyrdom, you know, I want to I wanna try to get as helpful as I can here on this point, but it's a bit gruesome. When things start getting really intense, we're going to really be wholesale hoping it's just martyrdom and not other things that would be awful and then martyrdom, okay? One of the things, I know this sounds a bit odd, but one of the things we're going to have going for us is the meticulous rage and systematic uh, uh, infrastructure that the Antichrist is going to have in place. He's not going to have time 
to dilly-dally. He, he's going to be, hey, we need to get this one done. We need this taken care of. We need to get this taken care of. So it's actually, that's in some ways, going to be working for us because he's going to need to be more methodical as opposed to torturous. You see, torture takes time, martyrdom less time. You, get, you catching what I'm saying there? But then there's going to be times where there's going to be those that are acting out his orders and they're not wanting to make it a, a fast process. And that's going to be a part of this. There are believers in the earth right now being tortured. There are Christians that are suffering not just die, but many other horrendous things, even leading up to that. And so that's happening in the earth now. So that the answer to the question, I mean, it's, these are tough things to process, you know? I mean, but, but one of the things that, again, it's, we approach the subject from such an American perspective that's not, we came by it honestly. I mean, it's not our fault, but we're not talking about the subject of suffering from a historic Christianity context. We're talking about the foreign idea of suffering from an American Christian mindset. And if you look at suffering within the church, martyrdom, torture, all the other things that we won't go into right now because of the mixed company of you know, age, but many other negative things that have happened to saints over the years because of their belief in Christ, those things have been part of Christianity as well, part of the suffering that the church has gone through and, and difficulties. And so the short version is there will be many versions of suffering, but there'll be moments of protection. There'll be moments where the Holy Spirit says, don't go down that street if you do bad things. But if you don't go down that street, you're going to get out of everything today. And then if you go down that street, bad things, you, go, you don't, you don't. There'll be times where there's no warning. There'll be time where the Lord goes, today's the day all of you are going to die. Get ready. And when I say all, I don't mean the planet. I mean whatever group, you know, a family, 10, 50, 100. And the Lord's going to be doing those kinds of things too. So it's going to be very, it's going to be varied. But here's, we've overcomplicated it. We just are so foreign to this idea of suffering. It seems like there is no place in Christianity for that. And that is a very American way to view this. It is not a biblical or a historical way to view it. Here's really the simplicity. Follow Jesus today. And then when tomorrow becomes today, follow Jesus today. That's what we do. In whatever context, so we don't need to be trying to get martyred now, nor do we be trying to get not martyred then. We just follow Jesus today. That's what Christianity is. Follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And so the, what we need to be training ourselves in is, the Lord told me not to do this, so I'm not going to do it. Well, but you really want to do it. Yeah, but don't do that because God said don't do it. And we follow the Lord wherever He goes. And that's, that's when it barrels down to it. That's where we get our reward. That's where we're in the safest place possible. That's where we're in the will of God. That's where the kingdom advances in the way that it's supposed to because each part is doing its part just follow the Lord today. And, and that's really kind of the, the real dialogue. Uh, but again, we just have such a different mindset because it's unthinkable that anything bad could ever happen to us. And that's not reflective of Christian history or of biblical Christianity. It's very American and, and sheltered. And, uh, and again, I'm thankful for that. But I'm also thankful for a little bit of experience in a Muslim nation where those rules didn't apply and where there really were times I could have died. And to be able to view that with my eyes and go, if I go down that street, I'm going to get captured and bad things are going to happen to me today. If I listen to the Holy Spirit and don't go down that street, I avoid things today. You know, I mean, there's, the world is not American and, and we represent a very small percentage of humanity. It just so happens that it's our percentage, and we're locked into our thinking. So I want to encourage us, start asking different questions. Let's ask the questions of what does the Word say, not how does my idea of life fit in the Bible. Was what does the Word say? What does the Word say? What does the Word say? And, so I, and again, I, we've come by it honestly, and I've got all these same struggles. But it is, I think the Lord is giving us this book of Revelation study as an invitation to start to mature our thinking a little bit. And we want to uh, take the Lord up on that. So, a uh, great question. Here.
So is the question, the rewards that are tied to martyrdom, are those same rewards tied to die a different way in the end times? Is that the question? Um, I don't think so. Um, and, and it's not because, you know, of anything negative. It's because the Lord's making a very strong statement. If you stand for me and that costs you everything and you stand for me, same as when Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He said, persecuted not because you were a silly ninny, persecuted because of me. You're blessed and you'll have a reward as a result. So there's rewards for standing for him that it's not like the other guy doesn't get any rewards. It's just there are specific rewards. There's, uh, I would encourage you, if this is a subject you're interested in, we've got a book in the lobby. It's uh, 14 sessions on eternal rewards. And it breaks down lots of different rewards types and systematic structure. And if you do this, then you get this reward. If you do this, then you get this reward. There are specific rewards. And so it's kind of like, you know, if I tell my kids, hey, if you, you know, clean your room, you get a sucker. Well, they don't get a sucker for just jumping on the trampoline. They get a sucker for cleaning the room because that was the deal, you know. So it's like that's what a reward is. It's specifically tied to specific things. So, um, but the one that dies some other way in that same time period, they're going to get rewarded according to their faithfulness. What, how were they faithful? Where were they faithful? So it's not how were they not faithful. Let's look at where they were faithful. They didn't get a chance to die for the, they died of old age. It's like, well, were they faithful? The Lord rewards faithfulness, and that's really the big point. He's just wanting those that, because the subject of martyrdom is going to go from here in the conversation to here in the conversation, he's wanting everybody to know it's not for nothing. There is a significant reward if it costs you your life. And so it's a, it's a really big, important detail. So great question. Uh, yeah, this question. Uh, so the question is, Revelation 6, talking about the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. Is this just anti-martyrs or all martyrs? I think it's all. However, I think the number becomes uh, kind of embarrassingly, embarrassingly disproportionate. And it's like all the martyrs from history will wind up being only a percentage of who's under that altar because there'll be so many martyred in the great tribulation period. And so it's like, so there, all of the ones from history are represented there is my assessment because it doesn't distinguish one way or the other. It doesn't say that they're this group or that group. It just says, it says the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and their testimony that they had maintained. So I would think that if you were martyred a hundred years ago, five years ago, or during the end times, and, and that's your story, that you're there. However, the reason it's a point of conversation in Revelation chapter 6 is because the numbers went from whatever it is and whatever it's been in history to so far outside of anything we can imagine. It's crazy. I mean, you've got the Antichrist, who's the king of the planet, systematically finding people that call in the name of Jesus. That's never happened. It is ne the subject of martyrdom has never been a every nation on earth issue before. And it's going to be every nation on earth, the subject of martyrdom is going to be an issue. And it's going to be a growing number. So my thought process is, if there's, I don't know the numbers, but whatever number of martyrs there have been throughout history is going to be a small number by comparison to all the number of martyrs that are going to be martyred in the last days and that are going to be under that altar. So by percentage, the ones that are going to be driving the conversation are the ones that were recently martyred because there's just so many of them. So great question. And last question. The role of martyrs just after what? Their role. Okay? So the question is, uh, what, is what is the role of martyrs just after the seventh trumpet? Okay, so Jesus comes back at the seventh trumpet. Okay? Okay? 
And in, in its most, um, if you need one pinpoint, and it's not really fair because the day of the Lord, God is doing so much. But if you need to just pinpoint what's the biggest thing about the day of the Lord, it's the day of the Lord. It's the day he comes back. This is actually the like biggest answer to the, the cry of the martyrs under the altar in Revelation chapter 6. How long until you judge this stuff? And you just imagine Jesus is in the background sharpening his sword while they're talking. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I'm working on it. Just you give me a minute. Okay. So Jesus's return is actually like the big exclamation point answer to the martyrs cry. When do we get justice and what's that going to look like? Okay. I think the martyrs are leading the charge. The martyrs are, I mean, it doesn't say that they're at the front, but the martyrs are going to be identifiable. And I think that they're going to have a significant place because they, they say, Sovereign Lord, how, uh, holy and true, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long until you avenge us specifically? I died for you. When are we going to deal with that? And I think Jesus, just this is my opinion, but I think Jesus is going to have those martyrs have some very real role in the march. I mean, in, the, in the, all the armies of heaven, maybe there's a whole army of the martyrs of heaven. I mean, that would be a reasonable thought process because it says armies of heaven. There's multiple. And we can see here that they're distinguished as a group, if nothing else, by, by their geography and the way that they got there. Under the, uh, under the altar. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the, their role will be, but I think their role will be um, real, identifiable, and important. Uh, and it's part of the answer to their heart cry. Because we just got to remember, as we're kind of wrapping up here, these aren't martyrs. They're Jesus' friends. They're the bride. They're the church. When we use a term like the martyrs, it's almost like we dehumanize. It's, we, we take away the fact that these were people like you. Maybe you're one of these. Ever think of that? So now we're not talking about the martyrs. We're talking about what are you going to do when the seventh trumpet happens, okay? You have a genuine relationship with Jesus. If you don't, fix that. You have a genuine relationship with Jesus. He likes you, you like him, you talk to him, he does cool stuff for you, you pray and ask him for stuff, and as a good father, he gives you good gifts. That's the same thing here. So now who are these martyrs? They're not just folk, they're not just numbers on a, on a spreadsheet. These are dudes and gals that loved the Lord all the way to death, and they're friends with Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just like now treat them as a number. These are people he knows and I think he has specific rewards prepared for specific groups, specific families, specific generations, specific uh, ways that you were obedient. But I, there's all kinds of late, we are going to be shocked forever at how good an accountant Jesus has been through the help of the Holy Spirit in every glass of cold water, in every kind word, in every act of obedience in secret that nobody saw. We, we're going to be shocked at his reward system and go, you saw that? So I just, I don't want to forget all that when we're talking about these martyrs and their role at any point. I think their role is going to have great dignity and, and it will, it, it makes sense to me. I'll say it that way. It makes sense to me that they would have some specific role in the army scenario. Like that they'll have something specific that'll be obvious. That's just my, my thought. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.